This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. I pray that you'll speak to us, change our hearts, change our lives, Make us what you want us to be. God, we are hungry to be your people, to be your children, and we want your word to change us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some versions say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I tell you, this is who you are. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be awesome if God showed up and said, I just want you to know clearly who you are. I want to tell you who you are, who your spouse is going to be, who, uh, what your job needs to be. I'm going to tell you all of the things that you've been wondering. I want to show up and really let you know who you are. I mean, that'd be amazing if God just cleared up everything for us, but, but I really believe that God's trying to teach us in this series, I Am, some things that will help us find those truths and find out what God really wants to do in our lives. And so we began a study last week studying about what God has spoken to us. And we began with the baptism of Jesus Christ when he came up out of the water and, and all of a sudden the heavens open and the voice of God says, this is my son, my son that I love and whom I am well pleased. And we heard those declarations, and then we learned from Galatians that we were baptized with and in Christ, so that when we came up out of the water with Him in Christ, we heard the same declarations over ourselves when God declared that that's my child, the one that I love, the one that I'm pleased with. And we missed that because all of us can say amen on the first. I am His child. Can you say amen with that? I am loved by God. Can you say amen with that? And I am pleasing to God. Can you say amen to that? Wow, that was weak. You see, we have a hard time going to that third step because we don't really know who we are. We don't think that it's possible for us to please God. I shared with you last week about the little steps that my, my grandson is taking and how it, with every little tiny uh, imperfect step, either vocally or, or even physically, uh, the joy that it's bringing to us, even though they're not uh, perfect yet, the joy that it's bringing into our hearts. You know, he's, he's waddling everywhere trying to walk. Well, this week he improved. He learned to run a little bit. Do you know how we know that he learned to run? We told him no, and he took off the other direction. Come on, amen. I said, oh, it has begun. You understand that, that in our lives, we, 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 we may not be where we thought we should be yet, but that does not change the fact that God loves you. He is your Father, and He is pleased with you. But we struggle seeing this. We struggle knowing that. And, and I think that these truths have become important to me but because it's important to know that God is not making you His child, but through the declaration of adoption, you can declare, I am His child. I don't have to look for love in all the wrong places because I am loved. I may not be perfect yet, but I am pleasing Him with every minuscule step of progress. 
The truth has become something that we have to declare in even our temptations and our trials, in our dark moments and in our, our good moments. We have to declare those simple truths that I can't go there, I can't do that because of who I am and wh who he is in my life, and I don't want to fail him because I'm making progress for him. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation about identity. He is talking with Simon, and as he's talking with Simon about his identity, Jesus asks this very, very important question. He says, well, Simon, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I get excited when I hear that declaration. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Can I tell you that Simon was right? That's the right answer. That's the prize-winning answer. Getting this question right is the foundation of salvation. You are saved when you believe in Jesus, but that is just the beginning. Our salvation experience is not the end game, but rather the invitation to join the team. As we accept the gift of salvation, we are then led on a journey to begin to live life as God intended for it to be lived to exchange all our woundedness and our insecurities for a life of passion and a life of purpose. And the very first step in learning how to live our newfound Christian faith is to begin to get a clear image of who God really is. They came to Jesus and they said to him, teach us how to pray. And what was his answer? His answer was very simple. He said, you have to begin in the right place. And what were the very first words that he said to them when he said to them, this is how you are to pray? He said, you must pray our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. See, it all begins with the declaration of who God is. Before we start dealing with our daily bread and forgive me of my sins, before I start dealing with all of that, I've got to get the right image of God. I've got to get the right image of who the Father is. Because until I get the right image of who the Father is, my daily bread doesn't really matter and my, my sins won't really be forgiven because I've not learned who I really am in Christ Jesus yet. And he said, you have to begin the process by declaring who God is. And so I declare that I am his child. And by declaring that I am his child, I have to declare that he is my father. And as I begin to put God in his right place, everything else in my life begins to come into the, into the perfect line of what God has for us. But here's the problem. We have to realize that the image that we have is not the image that God has been portraying. This year, it's like God's been causing our sermon series to break apart images of what the cross looked like and, and what Pentecost looked like. And, and what I mean by that, I've always heard that it was in some little room down in some alley somewhere. But that's not, if you study the Hebrew faith, that's not what Scripture said. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when Pentecost had fully come, do you know how you welcomed any good believing Jewish person how they welcomed Pentecost in. They didn't welcome it up down some side alley. I was always wondering, how did so many people hear them? But if you believed in what God's Word was true in those days, you went and all night long, they read the Torah, all night long, and you would welcome the day of Pentecost in the temple. All the people would gather around the temple in the courts of the temple, and as they would gather, they would read the Word of God. And as the Word of God was read, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that meant you had completed reading through the Word 
Word. And so what the Scripture was saying, when we reached the place that we had come through the Word and the day was fully there, then the power of the Holy Spirit fell. And, and that's why it makes more sense that thousands heard the move of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was in a very public, demonstrated place. Now what God's wanting to do is shake up the images that we have and things that we don't understand in our Western mindset. And one of the things is we have a wrong image about God. You see, our images of God are not the same as our ideas about God. Images are not abstract. Ideas are abstract. They are Images are pictures. That is, that they are powerful combinations of thoughts and feelings. When you sit down and you try to decide what you're going to give somebody as a gift, ultimately you're going to end, end up with an image in your mind. How are they going to react when I give them this? How are they going to respond when I hand this to them? If they don't respond in a positive way, if you don't see them with joy, I mean, think about it. Have you ever done that? You see them going, oh my gosh, best gift in the world. And then your kids open the gift, throw the gift to the side and play with the box. Can I get an amen? But you have an image that is based on an emotion that you're trying to bring about. That's because the images of our life have been uploaded into our brains and they become something that is based in emotion. From the first days of your life, they began to, your brain began to store emotional images. There were images of your mother's face when she was distressed or when she was pleased. Images of your father's face when he was angry or when he was laughing. And all of this began to be stored in your memory. Now listen to me carefully. These images became linked with whether or not you felt soothed or whether or not you felt fear. Those images became the images that linked in the earliest part of your foundational formation with whether or not you felt comfort and secure or whether or not you felt violated and vulnerable. And all of our experiences from those early days have been stored in our minds and many of them have become emotionally laden images. Listen to me carefully. Those emotionally laden images of our parents and of our earliest caretakers form the basic foundation of our expectations with all other people, your spouse, your boss, and even with God. You see, our images of God, therefore, may not match up with what we declare we believe doctrinally. We may declare that we believe, and I'm going somewhere with this, that we believe in a God of love and grace, but our image of God can be of one who either walks out or is a bully. It's not that you don't believe in the goodness of God. It's that the image that was formed in your life is an image that doesn't match up with what you believe. And that image of God as an abusive bully is likely to have more of a powerful impact on our emotions and our behaviors than our doctrinal statements about God because our images of God are rooted in the very foundation of who we are. You see, when we examine our private images of God and discover significant distortions, we might find ourselves horrified at the thought that we might actually harbor some negative images of God. Viewing God in a negative way may seem unacceptable and even frightening, but in spite of our fears, I believe it is critical that we look and we discover how we see God. Because the wrong image of God can cause us not to seek help because as a result of seeing God as one who becomes displeased with us, we don't want to fail Him. 
Having a wrong image of God will cause us not to to go to him unless we see him as loving. We'll either run away from him or we'll run. We'll, We'll constantly try to catch up to him trying to earn his love. But the truth is you don't have to earn the love of God because God is love. I want you to get an understanding. See, now, I, I don't know when I'm supposed to put this in the sermon, but I'm going to preach it right now. The problem is we have the wrong image built in the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have the wrong image of God erected in the temple of your life. And I want to remind you of a story in the Old Testament. The ark of God, which symbolized the presence of God, was captured. And they took it and they set it before their God. The Philistines set it before their God, Dagon. As they set it before their God, Dagon, and they said, we want to show you that our God is greater than your God. The next morning, they come in, and Dagon's laying flat on his face. You know what that tells me? That our God is is the greatest name above all names and every pagan God has to bow before him. But the next day they set him back up. They came in and he was broken in pieces. Why? Because the image of God wants to shatter every wrong image that has been exalted in your life. Amen. I want you to get this today. I want you to understand this. Get the power of what God is speaking to us. Because until we see him as an accepting father, we will replace the image with the opposite of the way we see ourselves. Listen to me carefully. I want you to get that. Until you see him for who he is, you're going to impose your image upon him. And he was not created in our image. We were created in his. You see, if we see ourselves as bad and deserving of punishment, we then infer on God an image of being vengeful and harsh. If we see ourselves as a failure, we will then impose upon God the image of one who has impossible expectations. And I want you to get this truth today. You will never know who you are until you come to know who God is. Until you tear down the wrong images, you're never going to have the image of you're a good, good father and I am loved by you. That's who I am. See, God's Word must become then a picture for us. God is pictured in Scripture as a king, as a shepherd, as a comforter, as a counselor, as a conqueror, as a healer, as a helper. Over 1,001 names for God given in the Word. These images from Scripture can provide a dramatic contrast to our disturbing images. I want to show you how your image of God really reflects how God wants you to see Him in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 9. We're going to take this verse by verse, and I'll tell you when we're going to move to the next verse. Verse number 9 says this, O Zion, messenger of good news. That's talking, O people of God, those who proclaim the good news. Shout from the mountaintops. I knew God told the preachers to shout. Listen to that. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. He said, I'm going to give you some good news. Are you ready for this? Verse number 10 says, Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Woo! I feel it. Your God's on the way. Your God's coming. If I told you that God was coming to your house today and you had five minutes notice, how many of you would be like, throw it all in the oven and close the door? Come on now, amen. I don't think it's ready yet. 
Because that's the image we get of God, that when he walks into our house, he's somehow going to be displeased if we interact with God because God couldn't possibly be pleased with me. But you've got to understand something. God sent me with a message this morning to shatter that image. Can I tell you that he has not only been to your house, everywhere a child of God goes, he lives in your house. Yes, sovereign Lord, it's coming. Listen to this, empower. How's that for an image of God? Y'all are misbehaving a little bit today. Let me just start you a little bit more here. Let's just sound like preachers. Say power. There's a few Christians in this place. Come on now. I want you to say it like a... Like a... I was preaching at a church the other day, and as I was preaching, I was preaching about preach yourself a message, and it was down in Lawrenceville, there's, there's people from like 26 nations, many of them from Africa, and I said, you, you can't preach that message, and I named somebody, and you can use power. I said, you got to act like T.D. Jakes and say that. Come on, man. you gotta, you got to get down inside of you and say it. And, and I, he does this little stutter step thing when he gets to preaching. I started stutter stepping, and that place went crazy. Come on, amen, amen, amen. But listen to me. It's power. He's coming in power. My goodness. That's the way we see him. This God who's showing up unexpected in power, and to make it worse, he will rule with his powerful arm. And if that's not scary enough, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Can I translate that to you the way that our image says this? God's about to show up in all of his power, and he's going to rule my life, and he's going to give me what I deserve. I mean, that's what it says. Can I show you how he really wants you to see him showing up in the next verse? He will feed his flock like a shepherd. This God of power shows up and says, I will carry the lambs in my arms, holding them close to my heart. See, that's the image. We have the wrong image. And this is the image he wants you to get. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. What an image of the Father. This image of the Father reminds me of a story that has helped impact my life. Imagine the year was 1943. They were in a little small country area called uh, Tuskegee, Alabama. You have to say Alabama. Come on now. And in Tuskegee, Alabama... They said that the line of limousines went for miles. Presidents, vice presidents, prime ministers, kings, princes, and rulers of the world have all descended in 1943 upon Tuskegee, Alabama. They cannot hold the growing crowds. They are there for the funeral of a man whose life had begun in a very different way. This man, the first we hear of his story is he is held in the arms of his mother on an auction block in a slave house in the Midwest. This mother, praying not to be torn from her child, cradles the infant just just days old in her arms. His name is George Washington. 
She does not know when the gavel goes down where she will go and what her life will be like. But there's a family that lives on the outskirts of town in a farm not far away. And this family, the Carver family, has deemed that, that slavery is wrong and the war hasn't taken care of things yet. And they're trying their best to rescue as many as they can. And so this family has sold everything of value that they have. They hear that this young mother and her baby are about to be sold. They scrape together what little they have left, liquidated, and the farmer carver walks into the slave house. And as he walks into the slave house, he bids with all that's in him and secures her freedom. He grants her his freedom. He and his wife gather her into their home to provide nourishment for her and the baby until they're strong to decide what they will do now as free men. That night... The surrounding community is so enraged by his freeing of the slaves that they attack his farm. As they attack his farm, they set his barn on fire. What little reserves they have is being burned up before them. He and the men that he had freed are desperately trying to uh, put out the fire. As they're trying to put out the fire, the raiders come and they snatch up the woman and her baby and ride off into the night. A note comes and says, if you want this woman and her child to be returned, there is only one thing we will accept as payment. The one thing the farmer had not yet liquidated. He liquidated all the hard assets he had, but he had, he had a prized racehorse. Everyone in all the fairs around tried to buy this horse, and it was his prize of his farm. And they said, the horse for the family. And the, of course, the man didn't even hesitate. He loaded the mule to the wagon tied the horse to the back of the wagon and they had demanded that he come almost to the state line to the crossroads. There at the crossroads, he was to wait until they arrived. They would exchange her and the baby for the horse. It was a deeply winter night in the Midwest as he rode out. The, you could see his breath, the, the coldness all surrounding him. He's hunkered down, he's riding, but every ounce of the way is worth it. He's going to rescue this family. And so he arrives and he waits for hours shivering in the dark. Finally, as he's given up all hope, suddenly the men ride out of the darkness and he looks and he counts the men and he sees not the woman or her child. All he sees is a burlap sack tied upon one of their saddles. They point their guns at him and he turns over the horse to them and he says, now where is the woman and her child to which they turn and shoot the mule that is attached to the wagon? As they bear their guns down upon him, Farmer Carver says, all I want is the woman and her child, and to which the one man unties the burlap sack and tosses it to the middle of the crossroads. There in the middle of that crossroads, the man uh, desperately uh, watches as they ride away, and he runs to the burlap sack, falls to his knees, and he, and he tears open the sack. And as he tears open the sack, there in that little bag was a little infant, little George Washington, and, and, and he's almost dead. He's almost frozen. And, and so Farmer Carver tears open his shirt, tears open his coat, grabs little George Washington, and, and he brings him to his chest, and he puts his shirt over him, and he wraps his coat around him and he begins to warm him with his own body heat and he starts the the miles and miles hike back to the farm 
With every step on the journey from the crossroads to the farm, listen to me carefully, with every step on the journey, he declared a truth. He declared something that we all need to get and we all need to understand. He said this, he said, little George Washington, from this moment forward, don't feel like an orphan. You will be my child. He said, little George Washington, you shall bear all my name. You are now no longer George Washington, but you have now become George Washington Carver. And as he carried little George Washington Carver across that, that, that weary night through that road all the way back to the farm, with every step he declared, you shall live, you shall prosper, you shall be a blessing. And that father walked through the door, stumbled into his farmhouse, he unfurled his package and handed it to his wife and crawled into his bed and died. But not before he had done everything to rescue the child, to give him a family, and to bestow his words of praise upon his ears. George Washington Carver would grow and become a student a student of nature. He would grow and become a man. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit as I'm preaching this history to you. But he would grow and he would become a man who would become the teacher of others. And this former slave, on the day of his burial, the presidents and rulers of the world gathered in Tuskegee, Alabama to declare that according to, to facts we know today, from that time until this, from the time that he began, he taught them how to hybridize corn. Come on now. And so that he would grow in regions where there could be no food to be grown. And not only that... He created hundreds of products and hundreds of things that have literally changed the world. And thanks be to God, he gave us Peter, ba Peter Pan peanut butter. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Come on now. But the, listen to me. 4.2 billion people's lives were saved by George Washington Carver's efforts. And his life was saved because a father was willing to give it all to go to a crossroads to rescue one that everybody else had given up on. Can I tell you, that's the image of a father that we need to have. He finds us at the crossroads and he speaks life into our being. Amen. Well, I have preached too long, but I'm not done yet. Come on to the piano. God's good. Amen. Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Back to our text. Listen to what he says. He says, but Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. He had been called Simon up to this point. And on this rock, I will build my church. Petros, you are, you are in Greek. Petros, you are, you are the rock. Listen to me, listen to me. It wasn't that Peter changed at the moment. It was that Jesus revealed who Peter really was. I want you to get this. Jesus revealed who he was. But how he found himself was when he found and declared who Jesus really was. So I have to ask you a question today. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Is he an ever-present help in your hour of trouble? Is he your faithful friend or is he your blame it for everything? Is he the scapegoat for your problems? Or is he the fairest of 10,000? The bright morning star. 
the one who's been faithful when everyone else abandoned you. You see, knowing God is paramount to finding out why He made you and who He means for you to be. It's truth. Stand with me today. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to stop talking about who you are not and what you cannot do and to start listening to what God says about your life. And what does God say about your life? That's my child, the one that I love, the one in whom I am well pleased. You see, if you could just simply learn those truths, they will become shattered. They will shatter the wrong image of God that you have. Because in order to declare that you are His child, that means you have to declare that He is your Father. And as I declare that He is my Father, and I declare that I am forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, I am loved. And that I might not be there yet, but He's still pleased with me. He's helped me along the journey. He's called me to better things. Bow your heads with me in this place. You make this declaration with me today. I am his child. Come on, I am his child. Say it with me. I am his child. We're going to say, I am loved of God. I am loved of God. And finally, we're going to say, I am pleasing to God. Ready? I am pleasing to God. Father, you see everyone that's here. You see those who struggled with declaring that they're your child. And Father, I pray you're going to speak to their heart now and you're going to change that situation. Father, I pray now for those who, who see, Lord, that, that they struggle with letting love out, so they struggle letting love in. God, I pray that, that that wall will fall. And for those who can't possibly understand why you would be pleased with them, I thank you, Father, that you are pleased with them in spite of their own every head bowed and every eye closed I'm going to make this closing prayer quick I'm going to try to make up time here but this is the most important part of our day if you're here and you say pastor I've never really accepted him as my father you may have even prayed a prayer to try to escape hell but you've never let him become your father maybe you had a mixed up image of what a dad is maybe you have uh, something that has held you back and held you down and you've never really declared that you're His child and He's your Father. And today's the day you want to know Jesus as your Savior. Right where you are, right now, right here, I want to pray with you. If that's you today, this is your moment, this is your time. If that's you, you say today's the day you want to declare God as your Father, you want to surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand right where you are? Would you just hold it up high? Hold it up high. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others today? Wow. Join hands with somebody near you today. Whole families' lives are being changed today. The Bible says that if we will confess Jesus Christ as Lord with our mouth, just like Peter did, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be born again. That makes God our Father and declares us as his child. We're going to pray this prayer together right now. Come on, pray it with me. Jesus, by faith, I believe 
your promises. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name, I repent. I want to be different. By faith, I receive your grace. And now, I declare Jesus is Lord. He came for me. He died for me. He lives forevermore. By faith, from this moment forward, God is my Father. Heaven is my home. And Jesus is my Savior. Amen and amen. Now, come on, give God some praise today. Amen. Amen. You can do better than that. Give God some praise. Amen. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find real love now.